You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us to be your people. And Lord, we struggle within our own selves uh, to realize that call in our own lives. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak through your word now and by the power of your spirit, shape us and mold us more and more into your likeness, that we may be the people that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Direct your attention this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, where Paul finishes up his letter to the Corinthians. And we've been going through this letter for quite some time, and I hope that you're able to see as we shift into chapter 16 just how jarring a transition it is. It's unlike the rest of the letter. In fact, let me read the tail end of chapter 15 leading up to our reading tonight. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now concerning the collection of the saints, it's a total flip of the switch. Where it's sort of like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this not a postscript of some kind? What is Paul doing here? Why is he now, after giving us this rather profound theological discourse, switching to tell us all about his travel plans. And I wonder, too, that the Corinthian church, upon receiving this letter, is thinking, wait a minute. Uh, This is a pretty radical shift because the topics and issues that Paul raises uh, throughout the entirety of this letter are really heavy issues. Uh, Everything from idolatry to grumbling to sexual immorality, things that touch on every aspect of the life of the Corinthians. And he really tightens the screws on them in such a way that you can understand why they might say when now concerning the collection, wait a minute. And on top of that, Paul says, I'm going to visit you after passing through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you for, or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. What do you think the response of the Corinthians was to Paul saying, now that I've written you all of this, I'm coming to visit you. Well, I can imagine a few responses, and I'm sure there are many more, but here are the ones that have come to mind for me. One, prepare for battle. Paul is the one with all the problems. His presence is a problem. His words are a problem. Things here in Corinth were fine until he wrote this letter, and now he feels like he needs to give this uh, condemnation to us, and now he has the nerve to come and show up at our door. And so if Paul comes, I'm going to give it back to him just as much as he gave it to us. I don't want to hear anything he has to say, and this letter has made me really angry. How dare he? And so when Paul comes, I'm going to give him a piece of my own mind. Now, of course, this position is self-righteous and is the definition of being dysfunctional. 
When someone is able to see clearly what the situation is and call a thing what it is and the response is, oh, I'm not the problem, you're the problem. How dare you bring up these issues? So no doubt there are people when Paul comes who are ready to do battle with him. The second, steer clear. I mean, if you have any sort of emotional turmoil or you're on the outs in any sort of relationship with another individual and you go to a party and you know they're there, have you ever scanned the crowd to make, I need to stay on this side of the room? And that awkward moment when you're finally there at the punch bowl and you see the person you've been trying to avoid the whole night and you have no idea what to say to them and you just pull the ripcord as fast as you can in order to get away from them. So you steer clear, and I'm sure that there are people, when Paul was going to go to Corinth, uh, that were just going to say, if I see him coming, I'm going to get busy and get out of the way. A third response may be simply to fake it. And by that I mean the person who goes up to Paul and says, Paul, I want to thank you for that letter. It was really helpful and really edifying, and I want you to know it was a blessing to me. When internally what they're saying is, I hate your guts. And what you said was a real challenge to me. And the fact of the matter is that I know what you said is true, and so I'm actually struggling with it. I just don't want to admit it because I'm afraid of what people might think if I actually speak up and say, actually what Paul is saying is absolutely right and spot on. Fourthly, I think that there are people who actually will be apathetic to Paul's coming. I really don't care. Yeah, I read his letter, but it really doesn't pertain to me. It doesn't affect me in the least. If he wants to come, great. If he wants to stay away, that's fine. I really don't care. Fifthly, I think that there are people who will read Paul's letter and be oblivious that it had anything to do with them. They read the letter and they say, praise the Lord that Paul has finally called out those sinners. Man, he, he's just putting words in my mouth. This is exactly the kind of ammunition that I needed to confront my brother and to confront my sister. Praise the Lord he's, being able, he's able to see things as they are, meaning he's not able to see me as I am. Completely oblivious to the fact that Paul is addressing them as well. And finally... There are those, when they hear that Paul is coming to visit, actually look forward to it. They actually long to see Paul. They're cut to the quick, and yet realize what Paul had to say was a word for them. And as painful as it might have been for them to hear certain parts of it, they actually long to see him face to face. One, to own up to their shortcomings, but two, to see this dear brother who's a father in God to their church there in Corinth, Greece. And Paul shows that this is the right response. Because this radical shift from talking about not needing to fear death anymore to talking about collecting for the saints in Jerusalem and being kind to Timothy, their soon-to-be pastor, and his coming to them as well, shows that Paul is saying that he has given up the Corinthian church over to the Lord. Not in a way of condemnation, but actually saying, everything that God has to say to you, I have said. I don't need to belabor the point. 
I don't need to keep hitting you over the head with it. And so I've said what needs saying, and I'm entrusting God's word and you to him, that the spirit is actually going to do his work in your lives. And furthermore, now that I've said what needs saying, there's work to do. And Paul won't allow anything to distract from gospel ministry. We have work to do. We're the church. God has a call in our lives. And it would be very easy for us to get completely distracted by some of the issues that I addressed. Certainly you have some counterpoints I'm sure that you would like to make. But we need to get money to Jerusalem to help feed our hungry brothers and sisters. The gospel ministry has to go on, and that's why I'm sending Timothy to you. And I'm going to come and I'm going to fellowship with you as well. And so, church in Corinth, we have to move on and not get distracted by the sideshows that you yourselves have created. But let's look back at those responses I just gave to Paul's journeying to Corinth to visit them. Because these things will affect gospel ministry. How the Corinthians respond to Paul's letter and his coming are going to have an impact on gospel ministry moving forward. Because the Corinthians are not just responding or reacting to Paul, but to God. This is not simply response, a response to Paul's opinions, but to God's word. It doesn't mean that they have to like it or receive it with a smile, but they have to reckon with it, for God's word certainly reckons with them. And in the same way, how do we respond to God's word? It's not that Paul is going to come visit us here in Birmingham, but as we've made our way through 1 Corinthians, God has come and visited us through his word. And what's our response? Do we, like some of the Corinthians say, man, Paul is way off, he's wrong. He's just wrong. And I don't want to hear anything that Paul has to say. In fact, if Paul were sitting here tonight, I'd give him a piece of my mind. How dare he? How dare he come after us in this manner? But there's anything that I've learned about this series through 1 Corinthians, it's that what Paul has to say, or rather what God has to say, has been hitting me square between the eyes. The issues that, that are being raised here in 1 Corinthians are not 1st century Greece. They're 21st century Birmingham. And I've been cut to the quick hearing God speak to me now because his word is living and active. And so for me to get self-righteous and to perpetuate dysfunction in my own life and in the life of God's church is not the proper response when confronted with what God has to say, both good and bad in my own estimation, in his word. But secondly, like the Corinthians, we need to be careful of steering clear of God's word. Now, I'm with Mark Twain when he said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me, it's the parts I do understand that bother me. And when Paul here speaks with such clarity about who we are as human beings and our own struggle and sin, it's unavoidable. Although certainly there are parts of 1 Corinthians, and I was sitting in the congregation just like you, hearing one of the other pastors preach, and I'm thinking, ooh, I wish we'd skip this one. 
I don't like this. I don't even know what they're going to say, but whatever it is, I don't think that I'm going to like it, and it's certainly going to make me feel uncomfortable. And certainly when I'm confronted with God's Word, if I'm not dysfunctional in my response to it, if I'm not steering clear of it and skipping over those passages that I'd rather not have deal with me, I definitely fake it in my own life. And this might be one of the greatest problems that we face as Christians. And I think Paul puts it right back on the Corinthian church. Or one, are you willing to be honest with yourself about where you stand with the Lord Jesus Christ? But two, are you able to be honest with one another? I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I had wonderful Christian friends throughout high school and, and throughout college. And I had one friend in particular who would always ask when I'd see him, Hey, how's your walk with the Lord going? And he said it in such a way that it almost felt like he was asking, how are you? And I wondered, does he really want me to be honest in my response to him? And so one time, his name is Ryan, I said, Ryan, quite frankly, my walk with the Lord is terrible. Now, do you want to sit down and talk about that? And he said, no, I don't. Because typically as Christians, when someone asks that question, we say, oh, it's awesome. It's so great. My time in God's Word is so rich, and God is really blessing me. When in reality, what we're saying is, I can't even be motivated to read God's Word. I mean, you talk about getting up first thing in the morning. I can't do it at any time during the day. My life is stale. I can't remember the last time I prayed more than five words that was not at the dinner table. It's not that I don't love the Lord. I just don't feel that intimacy that I used to feel. I don't feel that fire that is within me. And so often in the life of the church, we're actually afraid to be honest with one another, and so we fake it. We say, no, things are great. Things are awesome. But we need to be honest with the Lord. And I pray that we have brothers. And now, I don't think that you should get up right now and say, I just want to be honest that there are some people in this congregation I really dislike. But having a brother or sister that you can go to and say, it's all I can do to stay afloat. And to be honest, I'm faking it. And I don't know how much longer I can do that. So too, we can be in that terrible situation that the Bible talks about time and time again of being apathetic, of being hard-hearted. Where God speaks to us through his word and our hearts are so hard, there's no way that they can take root. And that's a very dangerous place to be spiritually, to think God has nothing to say to me through his word. Also, we can be oblivious, and we can pray like that Pharisee, thank God I'm not like that tax collector. Praise the Lord that Paul is rightly going after these notorious sinners and our own self-righteousness is perpetuated. Or finally, when we encounter God's Word, do we long for it? Do we look forward to it? Do we enter into it with a spirit of expectancy that God is actually going to speak to us and form us more and more into His likeness by the power of the Spirit who is speaking to us through His Word? And so what Paul has done after 15 chapters is he's created a division of a different kind in the Corinthian church. The divisions that the Corinthian church 
has had, he has dealt with. And now he's saying that there really ought to be one division amongst you. And that is this. Who is on the Lord's side? Who is going to encounter God's word and say, God rules his church by his word. And as difficult as it is for me sometimes, I realize that my position is not to be over God's word, but actually to be under its authority. And as hard as it may be, and as mightily as I may struggle, that when I encounter God's word, that it actually has a formative way, it has a way of forming me and that I need to conform my life to it and not simply skip over or cast it aside. And so when Paul is coming, there are going to be those who say, we believe that we know better than even God himself. That it's no longer, oh, it's against Paul, that we ha- it's with Paul we have an issue, but actually what has now happened in the Corinthian church are people not setting themselves up against Paul because they're not willing to submit to the word, but actually a people who are not willing to submit themselves to God himself. And that's a totally different dynamic. And of course, all of this is going to be due to a spiritual blindness. One of the great New Testament stories I think that illustrates this is the life of Peter. And in Luke chapter 5, when Peter is called to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, at that point in time he's, he's more often known as Simon, and they've been out all night and they've not had anything really uh, worth talking about when it comes to catching, and uh, the Lord says, cast your nets on the other side, and Simon Peter is just like, you know, you will leave the preaching to you and leave the fishing to us. This is our professional day-in, day-out job. You have no idea what you're talking about. But just to shut your mouth, we're going to go ahead and do it. And, of course, what happens? They cast their nets on the other side, and they bring in this huge haul of fish. And Simon Peter falls before the Lord Jesus and says, Depart from me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Now, fast forward. The night the Lord Jesus Christ was, was handed over to suffering and death, Peter denies the Lord Jesus three times, once to a little girl. And then Peter and the disciples, after the resurrection, are out fishing, and there they are in the boat. They've caught nothing. A voice from the seashore says, Cast your nets on the other side. So they do it. And they bring in this great haul of fish. And Simon Peter says, it's the Lord. And one of the things I love about the Bible is how honest it is, because it says that Simon Peter then put his clothes on and jumped in the water. What a doofus. (laughs) He puts his clothes on and he says, it's the Lord. And he jumps in the water and he makes a beeline to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same story as Luke 5, isn't it? that you see in John 21. But what happened? What happened to Simon Peter where he could say, depart from me for I am a man of unclean lips and then get to a place where even knowing that he denied the Lord Jesus and there are issues that they definitely have to sort out and yet there's nothing that is going to keep him from getting to Jesus as fast and as close as he can. Well, the difference is the gospel. The difference is that Peter finally was self-aware enough to understand who he was 
even as a sinner, as a broken man. And by John 21, he was able to see that in Jesus Christ, Christ, plenteous, plenteous grace is given to even him who denied the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the message that Paul is trying to get across to the church in Corinth. Do you understand who you are, even as a broken person? But above all, do you understand who you are in Jesus Christ and who he wants you to be in him? And so even though it's a hard word, and you can actually see in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, what happened when Paul actually visited Corinth. Paul wrote this, For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. It was a terrible visit. So much so that Paul never wanted to go back again. It was just too much. And it was not because of Paul's self-righteousness. It was not because Paul was saying, you won't listen to me. But through tears, through great spiritual angst, Paul was able to see the hard-heartedness of the church in Corinth and ask the question, why can't you see how loving and how gracious Jesus is? And his call to repentance to you ought to be heeded. And when you encounter him in his word, that we ought to submit to him as hard as it is, knowing that he has plans to prosper us and not to harm us and to use us in the gospel ministry that he's called us to. Let us pray. Lord, we admit that we're hard-hearted, that we're callous, that we're defensive, that we avoid you, that we often fake it, that some of us are apathetic, some of us are oblivious. But Lord, we pray that we would look forward to conversing with you in your word and any reluctance that we might have to encountering you that you would remove from our hearts and that we might joyfully enter into your presence as Simon Peter did in John 21 and fall at your feet and declare you as our Lord and our Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.